0: Star
1: Hello and welcome to the Untold, untold hour. hour.
0: I almost said Bizarre States, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Right before you said it, it was like forgetting my line in a school play, and I almost said Bizarre States. Hey,
1: you know what? I wouldn't have a problem picking Bizarre States back up as the title of our podcast again. (laughs) No way.
0: You can't say that now. I don't
1: know, dude. I've stopped giving a shit about pushing rocks uphill in my life. Uh, I love pushing rocks. COVID has done a lot to um, show me how... I shouldn't sweat the small stuff so much.
0: I know. I think I went through a, pe- a period where I was learning not to sweat the small stuff, and then I just started sweating the small stuff again, mm. um, maybe because I felt myself, but maybe in areas where I, I should be buttoning up again. Like I was definitely letting myself get lax uh, diet and you know exercise. I was just like, hey, we're all in a pandemic. We're all going crazy. Don't be so hard on yourself. But now I'm like, okay. I started exercise. I mean, I I hike every day, but I've started like getting back on my P90X train and Mm -hmm. no drinking during the week. And I got to try to snap out of that. I was getting into quite a slow, fat fog.
1: You literally said all the things that I'm not doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hadn't been, but I
0: am now.
1: I absolutely am not, nor want to start doing any sort of P90X. Absolutely drinking during the week. Yeah, uh, but you know, that's fine.
0: <laughs> well, I, we're all on our different. Uh, you know, we're all on a different path during this crazy time.
1: Yeah, I mean that is my standard wavelength anyway. But yeah, yeah you, you weren't here last week, but it, I finally admitted that I had hit rock bottom pretty hard. In I feel the, like you uh, said
0: that a couple weeks ago too. Depression.
1: Well, it's all been it's all been you know there's ups there's downs there's ups yeah. there's downs but last week uh, was bottom of the barrel like two like i'd gone two weeks without showering like (laughs) like i just didn't care and uh and then yeah and then i pulled myself out of it um it's probably
0: because i mean correct me if i'm wrong but is it because it it looks like it's it's not getting better i mean i feel like we were heading towards this we had all gotten into this mindset of we're safer at home we're flattening the curve and then all of a sudden, it's it's all back to the highest numbers ever. And everything's open-ended again as far as when it'll end.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, that is frustrating as far as I am getting to the point, like, where I want to go, I want to travel and I want to go to travel to, like, real. I want to get out of these states. Yeah. But, um, no, it was more honestly, <laughs> I just, I was on my period and I just was fucking over everything. I was just, yeah. like, literally, like, my... As I found as I get old, not to be, you know, sh- you, TMI, but as I get older, I find that my mood swings get more and more uh, aggressive. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I just had a bad one. And then being in the house and just not really having anything to focus on and then the shit I was focusing on, I wasn't really enjoying. And then other stuff was coming up, which was really irritating me and I- and so it was just a, it was a perfect storm of a bunch of different things.
0: Yeah, I get you. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, what what I missed last week. You guys had fun without me.
1: We had actually I think it kind of it was what pulled me out of it. I, we had a That's really good. good time. We had a really good podcast. It was uh, Stovetop, Aristotle and myself. And uh, a, it was just nice to see Stovetop and talk to Stovetop again. And when we say see, for those listening, uh, I mean visually through over our zoom. Over zoom cameras. But um, also, I, I got to talk about mm, that one podcast topic that I had been pushing for a while that I you know finally buckled down and did the research on, which was how uh, William S. Burroughs, the famous uh, beat author uh, known for his book and the accompanying movie, uh, Naked Lunch, how he was really, really, really into the occult, like oh, okay. a big time magic user, like full on believer, like was was just and very articulate when it, expressing why he was involved in it and believed in it and what techniques he used and why and his connection with things like Scientology and all this other stuff. Um, it actually has led me to then get a biography on him that I'm currently listening over Audible. Shout out to Audible. Wish you guys would sponsor us. Just saying, because I spend so much money on you. But anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't you feel? I feel like every podcaster feels like whatever they spend money on, it should be their sponsor.
1: Yeah, I need a sponsor. I need Audible to sponsor us. Maybe some makeup brands for whatever reason and uh, and snacks.
0: Dude, I think Green Chef should sponsor us green chef because that's what I eat every damn day and shudder that's what I watch every damn day See? so
1: we need to we get, get them that. on our on our podcast to like yeah support exactly us, support us but anyway I spent this money on this biography on him which it was really hard to track down uh an like any kind of like I don't know. It just I I felt like I did a lot of research on him and it was really kind of hard to track down any significant biographies okay. or documentaries, but I found this one on Audible and I'm listening to it now and man, guy sounds like <laughs> not awesome. <laughs> like he, he Yeah. You know, it's like one of those like be careful about uh meeting your heroes kind of thing not that i was ever a huge william s burroughs hero i just have in particular i really enjoyed uh naked lunch the movie um which Mm -hmm. then led me to the book but i had already enjoyed the movie so the book i kind of already i enjoyed anyway but um yeah like hearing about like hearing from quotes of him in regards to uh how he went through life what his reasons and or excuses mostly excuses were in regards to choices he made with his family um becoming an addict uh you know uh shooting his wife uh by mistake supposedly wow. all all of it is just like listening to this biography i'm just like whoa, whoa. mhm you know, I don't know. I, I'm actually kind of shocked that he became such an icon for multiple generations of people because I don't know how you would do any significant research on him in in uh, on a personal level. Like, wh- how whatever you think about his art, he obviously was right. talented. But on a personal level, be like, yeah, this this dude seems cool and like I somebody I want to hang end. out with. Right, right yeah it's weird it's weird it's hard to saying? say i don't know maybe this biography is just painting him in a poor light and i should you know and i'll and because i've seen some documentaries that actually make him sound great so i don't know yeah. maybe i just got one that's uh a little aggro right so i'll have to do more research on a uh, on a william s burroughs level but needless mm-hmm. to say i thought the podcast itself was really really fun really cool burrows whatever your take is on him personally i thought the occult angle was really unique he himself as far as his um ties in with it uh are really solid and and you know i can appreciate that fact so mm-hmm. yeah overall we had a good time
0: it's good that's yeah. good
1: long story short we had a good time
0: <laughs> i'm glad it's good to, i'm good to, it's good to yeah. hear that
1: did you get all your shit done
0: um i did get all my shit done um Yeah, things were just, uh, I also think something that's happening with the pandemic is everybody's kind of learning how to be busy again. Like Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know, at least uh, with my work and then even some kind of freelance work, stuff's just like picking up like crazy. Everyone's like, okay, well, we've all adapted to working from home. We all know how to use Zoom. And uh, so let's all just get back to being as busy as we were before. So everything's like ramping up. Or at least people are realizing, okay, we can't just have no projects active and happening, so we got to figure out ways to do them from home. So stuff's popping off that's, yeah, taking my time because I think everyone's trying to just become productive again, Mm -hmm. knowing that this is going to last for a lot longer.
1: Oh, yeah. I think we're in it for a while.
0: Yeah. Well, and I was going to gather some weird news for us this week, and my initial thought was... I was going to do like a whole Nessie roundup.
1: Oh, because Nessie got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nessie
0: was kind of popping in the, you know, with all that's going on in 2020, the joke became last week, like Loch Ness Monster enters the chat. But unfortunately, and I think maybe if I'd done this last week, I still would have brought these news items. But by now, most of the Nessie news that had popped had been debunked. Yeah. Um, There's one little bit of video that's still yet to be debunked. But the big image that popped a couple weeks ago, they say, was, well, A, either it was just this big old catfish. I was going to
1: say, it looks like a big catfish bag. I
0: know. Or B, uh, it was digitally altered. But there was some footage from a girl in Oregon who was just, like, watching the lock cam. Because they have a webcam that's just kind of always going on the on the lock and she swears she caught something at a certain timestamp that they're reviewing and it it seems to not be digitally altered, not be faked, but still it felt like it just my Nessie balloon had popped enough to where instead of bringing weird Nessie news, I decided to do a horror news roundup, Mm -hmm. which may or may not be interesting to you. Uh, or to our listeners, but there is a lot of horror news, and I thought I would just...
1: <laughs> it might not be interesting to <laughs> but, our listeners, but I'm going to mention it Chobot, anyway.
0: Or <laughs> Chobot, but uh, Bowser's going to do it anyway. And you know what? We'll just see. Well, I think I'll, I'll try to make it more universal than, oh, you'll only be interested in this if you're a horror buff, he says, before he realizes all of the headlines are pretty niche. Well, um, that's okay.
1: I mean, I enjoyed your Shutter rundown for uh, those well, it's documentary kind of along, series.
0: Yeah, it's kind of along those lines. Um okay. Hit me with it. But I wanted a segment name, and I was thinking uh, beforehand, I couldn't come up with anything. So maybe that's something for our Untoldians to think on, is if I did a little horror news roundup every once in a while, what we'd call it. Obviously, you think of Bowser's Booze. Oh, I like O-O. Bowser's Booze. You do? I do. I guess it could be a pun, because it could be like, boo, but it could also be like, hey, we're drinking and talking about horror. But, uh, well, we can go with Bowser's Booze for right
1: now. I like Bowser's Booze
0: so the first bit of news i have uh this has been announced for a few weeks now but there's some there's some new news surrounding it they announced a while back i'd say maybe three weeks ago that there is yet another evil dead remake or reboot on the horizon with sam raimi producing so If you don't know, Jess, I mean, I'm sure you know Evil Dead. You know Bruce Campbell. You know that whole world. If you remember, there was a remake that already happened just a few years ago.
1: Are you talking a television show?
0: No, that was before the television show.
1: I don't remember the remake.
0: The remake was in 2013, and it was directed by a filmmaker named Fetty Alvarez. And it went, uh, no Bruce Campbell, no comedy just real bleak straight horror
1: well that's gonna be um, a failure
0: brutal right well this is what leads me to I mean I could do a whole podcast was it, was about this failure? question I think it was I think um I don't know what it did money wise oh yeah no I guess I guess it made money Oh, well, I guess it I made guess money it's not a failure but the weird know, thing depending is on what
1: your point of view is oh Aristotle said he loved it
0: oh wow um, well, Aristotle, uh, no you just respons- pissed off Bowser. <laughs> no, I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts on that movie. Um, You know how you see a movie that overall doesn't work for you, but there's actors or elements of the film that are exactly what you'd want? You know, like if you were to say, oh, I hate yeah. the X-Men movies, but you can't argue that Hugh Jackman is a great Wolverine or that Patrick Stewart's yeah. the perfect Professor X – so in that Evil Dead film, I loved the actor Jane Levy. She is killer, uh, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. And then I really liked the actor Lou Taylor Pucci. He was great. But I do think what you learned with that film is when you take the Sam Raimi sensibility out of the Evil Dead, when you take Bruce Campbell out of the Evil Dead, what do you have? You've got a Possession movie, kind of a zombie movie. Uh, Well,
1: I mean, I guess the first Evil Dead, right? The first iteration of it, it leaned more into horror than schtick comedy.
0: It did, but it was kind of creeping in. But yes, it was much more straight ahead. It was much more uh, depraved. It was much more Texas Chainsaw vibe than Mm -hmm. what it became. But I mean, Evil Dead 2 comes out of the gate and it is full slapstick. Yeah, and that kind of defined the franchise, and definitely Army of Darkness, and then the Ash versus Evil Dead show was in that vein. I guess that's just my question: is what happens when you take the Raimi and the Bruce Campbell out of Evil Dead? What you get is that 2013 remake. The other thing I would lo- I would take out of that remake that I I loved is the final battle. There's this great final battle between this kind of ancient spirit creature woman and then Jane Levy, and it's great. I love it. I could watch that sequence on repeat. But I think overall, it suffers from a lot of uh, hack backstory. A lot of like, you know, when mom died, she wished uh, you'd been there instead of me, but I was there. (laughs) That makes me feel guilty. Well, you weren't there because you have a drug problem and you were in rehab. (laughs) You know, all this like ham-fisted expositional dialogue that just doesn't really exist. Sam Raimi doesn't really care about that shit. He's like, these are your people. You're with them for 90 minutes. Deal with it. Drag me to hell. It's like here they here meet her, meet the fiance. Now let's slap, and that's how he rolls. Action kind of informs the character, not uh, expositional dialogue. Anyway, point is, they're remaking it yet again,
1: mm-hmm. or
0: or rebooting it, or doing a new film in the in the franchise that is not Bruce Campbell as Ash. And originally, it was being called Evil Dead Now which I thought was stupid because it sounds like a now that's what I call music CD compilation, like <laughs> Evil Dead now, get it now. Um, and, and, and once again, all jealousies aside, which are a plenty, the filmmaker that's been hired to direct it is a, an Irish filmmaker named Lee Cronin, mm-hmm. who is known for a film called A Hole in the Ground And it also has no humor, has no levity. It's bleak, straightforward, same expositional problems, same hacky dialogue. So not only am I wondering why reboot, why remake Evil Dead, I'm wondering why do it with the same uh, sentiment, with the same personality seemingly. Fetty Alvarez and Lee Cronin seem like similar filmmakers in tone. So I feel like we're going to get the same movie again. It's going to be another... Bleak, straightforward, kind of horror by the numbers. But this is the news that they then announced today, which is what I don't know why, but people started wondering. I think there were some plot details leaked. People were wondering if it was going to be set in a uh, in a in a, a skyscraper and not a cabin. They were wondering if because because Bruce Campbell said something along the lines of "We're out of the cabin or we're not in the woods anymore." So people mm. were like, "Oh, is it going to be Evil Dead in a city?" Um and now they've even announced the title has been changed to Evil Dead Rise.
1: Ooh. Which
0: is a better name. That's better than that. Although you know, it is just like that's a word you slap on sequels, you know? Rise, rises, rising. But it supposedly does take place in a skyscraper.
1: So So at least
0: the DNA will be. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead.
1: So it's so Sam Raimi is not involved in this latest remake.
0: He's producing it. He produces oh, he all is. of it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And Bruce Campbell is as well.
0: Uh, I don't know if if Bruce Campbell's listed as a producer. Um maybe he is. Probably by this point. Um I just know that he's been kind of weighing in on he's been like letting everybody know that uh this is coming cuz he's just kind of the figurehead for the franchise. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Even if he's not acting in it. Um but yeah he was Bruce Campbell was a, a listed as a producer on the 2013 remake. So yes, he's probably a producer on this new one too.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, as long as they're involved.
0: Yeah, it might I guess not so.
1: Be as bad as what you felt the other one was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't Possibly. Know. I just uh, I just don't know why they would move away from the identity of the original franchise which is Sure, it doesn't need to go as far, maybe, as Ash versus Evil Dead or Army of Darkness went. But that dragged me to hell tone is that perfect ramy blend of horror and levity, I would say, even more than comedy. Uh, and I just think there's a certain point where if you remove the levity from a horror film, it has no humanity. They just seem like, then you get the conjuring. They're just a bunch of cardboard cutout people doing tropey bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want to see that for my evil dead but uh uh on that subject i got a i ordered an evil dead 2 vhs tape uh from ebay because my copy of evil dead is somewhere in an attic in maryland and it got to me and it was broken what and i was so angry so i did some surgery and i took uh uh, the piece that was broken on it was just like kind of the lip on the edge of the tape and i was able to I have two copies of House on Haunted Hill on VHS. So I took one of those and surgically with, I still have like my little tweezers and my little screwdriver here, Mm -hmm. took the lip off and then put it on Evil Dead 2. And then my question was, do I try it in my TV VCR knowing it could be fucked up and it could fuck up, you know, what is essentially my Gremlins 2 machine? And, uh, but I tried it and it, it fucked up the tape. But it didn't fuck up the TV. But the tape was fucked. Even my little surgery didn't help it.
1: Ah. Cool story, bro.
0: Yeah. It was tense. I mean, it was... I was I did riding perform,
1: the light. I did perform some uh, purchaser's surgery on maybe one of the best items off of Amazon I've ever bought. Which I can't remember if I've mentioned it on here before or not. I suspect I did. But I bought it as a joke item thinking, ah, you know, this is going to be funny. Ha ha, I'll use it for like a YouTube video and then I'll give it to my kid. Right. And it is a, uh, it is an LED sensor that you clip onto the side of your toilet bowl. Wow. That uh, when you walk into, at nighttime, when you walk into the bathroom to use the bathroom, if you have to go, lights yeah. up the toilet just enough so that you can see where you need to be but not so that you have to turn on the lights so that you can easily go back to sleep. And
0: Interesting.
1: It also has a wide range of colors you can choose from to either put it on a specific shade that you like or to cycle through like a rainbow shade. Gotcha. Uh, I enjoyed it so much I've bought two. And I have them on almost all the toilets in the house.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's amazing! (laughs) Yeah, that sounds great.
1: Always having to get up. uh, Well, either my kid's getting up, and so I go and check on him, or he's getting up to use the bathroom, or because of the new puppy, and we're trying to house train her. Oh my gosh, you know we had to. Yeah, we had to get up a couple times a night to let her out, and uh, that thing has become extremely helpful. So anybody yeah. that is listening to this, anyway, long story short is I had to perform surgery on it because one of them showed up broken. Uh, the like metal tong that um, touches the base of your battery so that the negative and positive yeah. you know, current runs through it had been broken off. So I had to change it out with a different one and solder it in and all this other stuff. It definitely was not worth the amount of time it took me to fr- uh, to correct it was not worth how much it took like yeah. it, like it took me like an hour to fix it the thing itself only cost like 6 bucks i should have just ordered another one but i was like pissed about it for some reason and i was like i'm going to totally. fix this up anyway long story short i fixed it it works um <laughs> unlike your situation
0: i know i had the opposite experience
1: but i also highly recommend that if people want to have a glow in the dark toilet that could yeah. run the colors of the rainbow in the middle of the night. This might Hell be yeah. the purchase for you.
0: So another bit of horror news uh, mm-hmm. while I'm in the business of boring you to death
1: mm-hmm. is
0: that uh, the, the latest promotional trailer for Candyman. Were you ever into Candyman?
1: Huh. Yeah. So, Yes.
0: Okay. It scared
1: me so bad. Sure. I have never I have never seen it again outside of the theaters. I've seen both one and two because there was a follow-up.
0: I think there was even a third, yeah. I didn't
1: see the third. I've only seen the first two, and I refuse to watch it ever again because while I did enjoy it from a horror genre perspective, yeah. it scared me so much that yeah. even to this day saying the title – makes me nervous
0: it's so funny I think a lot of people feel that way I think there's people that are more scared of Candyman on a guttural level than like Freddy and Jason because oh, yeah. Candyman was it It. I remember it being like I'll watch Nightmare on Elm Street I'll watch Friday the Dream but Candyman I can't fuck with that because he'll he'll mm-hmm. come out of the mirror that's real like there yeah. was this because of the urban legend around it it really hit in my age group for sure well, yeah. the 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 new one is coming out, mm-hmm. and and there's been a lot of promotional material, uh, but but and there's been a lot of speculation as to how involved the original Candyman actor Tony Todd is, because initially, uh, when they announced the casting of this actor, uh, the guy from Aquaman who played the the bad guy in Aquaman, um, Yahya Yahya Abdul Mateen. Mm-hmm. he's a really great actor he when they announced his casting people thought he was going to be Candyman, but then they announced that tony todd would be involved in the film so then people were like oh well maybe it's just the original candy man is Candyman." but then the first trailer came out which kind of showed that the approach might be less that candy man is a figure played by tony todd that comes from the mirror and kills people and more that Candyman is a spirit that can kind of uh, possess different people and influence their thinking and influence their behavior. So mm-hmm. Tony Todd may represent the the original spirit of Candyman and have a presence in the film, but physically maybe it is the, the actor from Aquaman because the trailer basically shows that he starts to paint images that seem to uh, bring forth the power of Candyman and get in his head. So he starts mm-hmm. seeing himself as Candyman. Anyway, You
1: need to stop... Sing
0: Candyman, 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 stop
1: <laughs> it! <laughs>
0: That's you true. need to quit. <laughs> so, but 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 recently they released a really cool. Uh, I even hesitate to just simply call it promotional material because it's a really beautifully done animated teaser. And mm-hmm. I was telling a friend of mine, and you know me, I don't like stuff often, uh, but I felt like it was the one of the first pieces of promotional material I've seen in a long time that really felt like art first and mm-hmm. not just a trailer. It was so well done and it was so committed to one art style. And it was basically showing the history of of not all, but certain instances of, of racial injustice that kind of lead to the Candyman story. And these are stories from our real history and then how they're connected to Candyman. And so it really struck a chord with people And it was really powerful and really well done. And now there's a teaser trailer that kind of combines the animated one with the live-action footage that we've already seen. And in that, you hear Tony Todd very clearly. And you see a painting that is clearly Tony Todd. And so we're back to now speculating. Well, How involved is he? I would love to see more than just him as a painting or hear his voice. I, I would love to see Tony Todd in the coat with the hook. As Candyman, physically moving in the in the film, but how I don't know old if we're is get that. he now? Tony he's Todd. Yeah, he's old. I mean, uh, let's see.
1: Oh, he's not that old. He's sixty five. Okay, so oh, I'm yeah. just thinking, like, if he was older, not that that really matters. I don't totally. mean like he couldn't carry the role. I just mean like he might not be interested because you know he's older. He's got other things he's doing or doesn't want to totally. be. You know, doesn't want to deal with it because it it's a lot of work to be on set. So, but yeah. I mean, 65, he, yeah, he might, yeah, he might have like, he might be heavily involved.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited. My last thing, and I'll leave you with this and we can talk about the main story, but you may have an interest in this. I feel like this horror movie came about because Five Nights at Freddy's just as a film couldn't get off the ground. It's kind of been in development hell at different places and everybody is always saying there's going to be a Five Nights at Freddy's movie. And there just hasn't been. Now, I don't know if you know about this. There's this movie that's been announced uh with Nick Cage called <laughs> Wally's Wonderland.
1: Already sold. All right. What <laughs> it's, yes.
0: It's uh it's basically about a guy and his family stuck in a in a you know, Chuck E. Cheese type place, uh, where the animatronics come to life and terrorize oh God, him and his family.
1: Yeah, I'm looking it up right now.
0: The only thing that bothers me is, of course, I'm down for Nick Cage going crazy and going full cage and fighting animatronic, you know, baddies. But they changed the name from Wally's Wonderland to Willie's Wonderland. And here I have been working on a film called Little Willie for over a year. Oh, but well, uh, it doesn't okay. matter. But
1: yeah. Why would they uh, change the name, though? What's the point?
0: If- I wonder if Wally's Wonderland, if they were worried about uh, copyright stuff with National Lampoon, with Wally
1: World. Oh maybe, um, yeah. Oh maybe because the animat. Yeah, uh, maybe. I don't know. That's a tough call because that's very clearly not a, a a real pizza pizza place franchise. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. I don't know, but all and I know all, is, yeah,
1: and also on top of that, it's made up as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, all I know is now they've they've. What's interesting to me though is that this was already shot, and I would imagine. Changing the name would be difficult because in the film, there's probably a lot of signage that I says Wally and, the, and yeah. dolls that say Wally and T-shirts that say Wally's Wonderland.
1: IMDb still has it as Wally, at least on my phone.
0: Really interesting.
1: Yep. Wiki has it as Wally. Yeah. There's only one says, thing on here that I see that says Willie instead of Wally, and that is some that is a YouTube video from a month ago of somebody breaking. I don't know, breaking the concept down on YouTube. Yeah. But everything else says Wally's Wonderland. Interesting. Huh. But yeah.
0: with that, though, Jason Blum has announced that the Blumhouse Five Nights at Freddy's movie is moving rapidly forward.
1: Oh, so, so they're going to try to make a race for the finish line? Is that I don't one? know. I'm
0: sure the Wally's Wonderland, Willie's Wonderland will come out and it'll go straight to VOD or something and... And it's not, you know, I don't think that's built to be a a big movie. Whereas Five Nights at Freddy's, I don't know. Did you ever play that game? Is it, does it have the makings of like a broader successful horror film or is it?
1: I mean, if you get the right writers. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, listen, I, you know, very few horror films out there in my opinion are, are all that stellar in regards to story concept Right, But uh, uh, so, I mean, I don't know if I would be holding my feet to the fire uh, or if holding its feet to the fire on that. But I do think the idea of being stuck inside of a Chuck E. Cheese-esque type of, you know, restaurant and trying yeah. to survive the night's pretty, pretty cool.
0: <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean, I didn't I, I'm not the biggest fan of the game, but I could definitely see where the concept of that could lend itself if you get the um, get some decent writers in there to at least cobble together uh, a, a good enough story. It yeah. would appeal to um, a wide generation of both adults and kids that grew up with like showbiz pizza, Chuck E. Cheese, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. So that yeah. makes sense to me. I think that it would, I think they're, you know, and then gamers on top of it, just in general. So I feel like, yeah, they know that their audience is out there, and so maybe maybe don't rush it. Yeah. I don't know. That's a tough call, especially since, you know, they've got Nick Cage on the other one, and whatever, you know, we all kind of, ha-ha, when Nick Cage is mentioned, but man still pulls people in to see movies and he's not a bad sure. actor so he just you know yeah it just depends on how he's feeling that day what he's going to give you all yeah. any of which i you know i like crazy nick cage i like serious nick cage i like yeah, uh man, yeah, raising yeah. arizona yeah. nick cage and i like uh you know what is it face off nick cage like i love yep. all the different flavors of love nick cage.
0: vampires kiss nick cage yep yep
1: Nick Cage, the Baskin Robbins of humans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gives you a, a wide, wide variety of Nick Cage's uh-huh. to choose from.
0: 31 flavors.
1: hmm
0: Well, that's it. That's it for Bowser's Booze this Ooh, week.
1: That was um, intriguing.
0: Man, remember when I almost broke my TV VCR with a Busted Evil Dead 2 tape, but then I, it wound up being okay?
1: Yeah. That was a great story, dude.
0: Wow. That was crazy.
1: Um, well, you know, I'm just going to take that and I'm going to shift it on over to our main story here. Shift
0: it and drift it.
1: Which, uh, you know, gosh, I don't know. I feel like kind of like, eh, maybe you'll like it too. Maybe this is one of those eh episodes. I don't know. (laughs) Well. The audience needs to tell us. The listeners, listeners, tell us if this is one of those. Yeah, tell us if it's
0: eh. That's what we're looking for. Eh, eh,
1: it's, it's eh. It's a, it's a... Yeah, we're, we're the Nick Cage of podcasts.
0: Yeah, <laughs> gladly. Um,
1: so I actually have mentioned this before uh, on a v- other podcasts, but one of my favorite magazines of all time is this one called in Times, which comes out of the UK. You can get it here in the States. You can either get a physical copy or you can get it digitally uh, if you want the website of where you can go and subscribe to this uh, uh, this magazine, um, I'll put it in our Facebook notes. Anyway, um, I love them. They do great rundowns on anything weird, paranormal cryptid, you name it, ghosts, whatever it might be, they cover it and they do a good job. They've got good writers on their staff and they do mm-hmm. some significant deep dives in research. So it's not always just blind belief in what they're writing about. There's a lot of really well-balanced um, Like questioning of the situation they're not afraid to write about something that's been debunked and they give you the entire story on how it got up there and had everybody believing in it and then how it Mm -hmm. ended up falling apart i like those stories just as much as believing 110 percent like just because i'm into this stuff i think people forget that i also enjoy watching it fall apart sometimes because that's almost just as interesting it's all about the history of these things so for me I, these are the kind of articles I really, really dig. Anyway, long story short, I decided to finally open up my subscription because it's been a while since I checked them out. And I saw this article that I thought was super, super cool from Theo Pajamas, I think is this, how you pronounce this gentleman's last name. And he basically wrote, um, um, vanished from the face of the earth article. It's a blast from the past where basically they go back in in time, so
0: Mm -hmm. to speak,
1: and uh, write about something that had uh, occurred in the past. But the thing that really kind of caught my eye on this is I remember reading a book when I was a preteen. It was not Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. It was a uh, it was kind of like a mysteries novel, and they mentioned one of the stories that is in this article as something that was quote-unquote fact, which will make sense as we do a deeper dive into this, but keep that in mind. I'll mention it once we get to that point. But, um, you know, I hadn't thought about that particular story that I read for a long time, but it had always stuck with me because it's super, super creepy. And so what I had heard was essentially that Um, In Illinois, where I was living at the time, there was a person who uh, who was out on their farm and they disappeared in front of their family members and then the family members ran over to try and find them and they couldn't find them, but they could hear the person's voice calling to them saying, I'm here, I'm here, why can't you see me? I'm here, come help me, help me, help me. And then, you know, it took like two weeks or something for the voice to finally fade away. And they could never figure out what was going on. Well, thus, that led to this article. And so I'm just going to kick it off from the top. So mm-hmm. so back in 1888, an uh, article was published by a gentleman named Ambrose Bierce, who is apparently super, super famous. The name sounded familiar. I have never known that the story that I was reading when I was a little kid was an offshoot of something that he had written but he but yeah I like I'm actually kind of ashamed of myself that I didn't know this author because I'm pretty good when it comes to classic authors um, especially in the horror genre so uh, anyway Ambrose Beers published this article all in regards of the concept that there are moments where people disappear off the face of the earth without any reason or any trace of where they might have gone Um, and then a quarter of a century later he himself then disappeared Uh, we will get to that in a bit but I just wanted to give you a breakdown of who Ambrose Bierce was like I said name sounded familiar to me but I couldn't place it and then when I read this I'm somewhat ashamed of myself so Ambrose Gwinnett Bierce uh, was an American short story writer, journalist, poet, and Civil War veteran. His book, The Devil's Dictionary, was named as one of the 100 greatest masterpieces of American literature by the American Revolution Bicentennial Administration. Who there is a title. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For A Club. Um, a prolific and versatile writer, Bierce was regarded as. As one of the most influential journalists in the United States and as a pioneering writer of realist fiction, for his horror writing, uh, Michael Durda, I got this off wiki, so I don't know who Michael Durda is, but if you want to check him out, I'm sure they've got him tagged, ranked him alongside Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, He uh, may as well have been the greatest uh, satirist America had ever produced. His war stories influenced anyone from Stephen Crane to Ernest Hemingway, amongst others, and he was considered an influential and feared literary critic. So the man has, you know, he has, he has the resume. Yeah. So he writes this article that basically breaks down all of these pretend disappearances. And one of the ones he talks about is he says that in July of 1854... A gentleman named Orion Williamson disappeared while crossing across a field near Selma, Alabama. Uh, something then similar befell a sho- shoemaker named James Byrne Warson in Warwickshire, Warkwish- somewhere in the UK. Sure. Uh, a quote from this article from in Times said, "He did not fall to the earth. He vanished before touching it. No trace of him was ever afterwards discovered." Uh, It was then mentioned that November 9th, uh, Charles Ashmore in Illinois vanished after walking out of his farmhouse to get water from a well a bit further off. His family, who then went searching, found a trail in the snow, which ended abruptly with his footprints just kind of disappearing afterwards. Uh, His family members also reported hearing his voice calling for help around the well area with the cries growing fainter and further and by midsummer ending completely. That is the story that I remember reading as a preteen, as being something that was factual,
0: interesting. And where yeah. did you read it when you were a teen?
1: Some book, some like weird mystery like a, book,
0: right? It you hadn't know? been turned into a. It hadn't been turned into like its own longer fictional story.
1: No, no, the fictional story is this. Is one of the stories like this supposed disappearance of Charles Ashmore? Right, is one of these three fictional disappearances that. Ambrose Bierce wrote right, it up.
0: As, uh, as fact at some point as a kid. As
1: fact. Yeah. And not only was it me, he basically created, he basically had this article that he wrote about his, these pretend disappearances. Mm-hmm. They essentially uh, went viral, you know? Yeah. In, in yeah. his day and age, as viral as viral can get, but you can still find references to these. Like, Relatively In relatively modern times, I mean, they mention, like, some of these things were even referenced in, like, the 60s as, like, actual things that occurred, even though they didn't. And they kind of became their own urban myths all around the world. Like, it, it traveled internationally. It wasn't just in the U.S. Right. or the U.K. that these stories popped up. It was places as far off as, like, Australia sometimes. Um, far off for, you know, from where these uh, original or quote-unquote disappearances occurred. All of this together basically boils down, like I mentioned before, that the counts in this articles are all pretty much a hoax because none of these people actually existed. They were all invented by Ambrose.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: However, out of all three of them, in particular, the Charles Ashmore story, the one that I was aware of from out of Illinois, uh, seemed to strike a nerve across the board, and that's the one that most people kind of dipped back into for their for passing along their false information is true. Uh, so by 1890, a newspaper out of Quincy, Illinois, actually started asking its readers if anybody legitimately remembered the incident. Uh, the article from the 14 Times does not go into whether or not anybody responded, and if so, how. But the fact that this newspaper was even... Seriously bringing this up as a potential discussion topic Mm -hmm. leads me to believe that they thought that this really happened. Uh, Between 1901 to 1904, various American and Canadian newspapers reported that the Charles Ashmore case actually happened, but this time somewhere out in England. So now instead of Illinois, it's still the same guy. It's still the same incident, but it's happening out overseas. So it's kind of like a game of telephone. It like slightly yeah. gets changed the more and more it gets passed around. Um, in fact, Bierce's articles themselves are so compelling that they actually became templates for other people borrowing aspects of his disappearance stories and turning it into their own. Huh. As kind of a Just like
0: a pl- mad lib, they would just switch out the details. Yeah,
1: like plagiarism mad libs, yeah, kind of. Um so some of the disappearances <laughs> that are kind of borrowed off of this Charles Ashmore breakdown is this gentleman named the disappearance of Oliver Lurch. It was a hoax article written by a guy named Irving Lewis back in 1904 and published at a New York newspaper. Uh, it takes after the Charles Ashmore story where there's a farmhouse, a distant well, it's snow season, um, a, an abruptly ending trail leading to nowhere that nobody can understand why all of a sudden the footsteps stop and then everything goes blank. Uh-huh. Um It was so, this article in particular uh, was so successful and believable that it actually began making the rounds of other papers, much like the OG Charles Ashmore story did back in the day, Um, and it actually included some out in Austria as late as the 1930s. So back in the 1930s in Austria, people were referencing the Oliver Lurch disappearance as being truthful, but the Oliver Lurch disappearance. Was actually pulling from a make-believe Charles Ashmore disappearance, and wild. Uh, it continues to be referenced online at online sites, including the Fortean Times, even to this day. Although the Fortean Times make- makes it abundantly clear that it is not real. Yeah. Um uh variations on the type of disappearance also start to occur so instead of it being guys there's a little girl left at the house at night to go to the well she disappears without a trace and only her wooden water bucket is found and the little girl is never seen again although people then started reporting that they believed a giant bird carried her away um And then the most recent variation on the Charles Ashmore story was one written by a Stuart Palmer regarding David Lang, so a different name, who was a farmer that disappeared in Tennessee, all the same criteria, he's a farmer, he's crossing a field to snag some water from a distant well, he vanishes, his voice is heard for a month, growing weaker and further away as time goes on until it disappears completely. Um, This particular Vanished story gained some steam because it was actually published in a magazine called Fate in 1958. But Palmer, the author of the David Lang story, um, sold his story twice, with the original being printed in the 1930s edition of Ghost Stories magazine, and then again in uh, this uh, with this David Legg story in in uh, wherever he published it the second time around. Other similar disappearances are uh, Martin Spangler. He supposedly vanished in 1911. He was an English school teacher who vanished in plain sight of his wife and daughter while crossing a field. They could hear his voice and they actually apparently dug a pit that was over 15 feet into the ground to search for him. But of course it came up empty. Again, that whole story is made up. A Charlotte Ashton. So a play on Charles Ashton, or I'm sorry, a play on Charles Ashmore, it is now a girl or a woman, because she's 16 years old, named Charlotte Ashton. Um, She disappeared from her London farm in October of 1876, supposedly, at night, A bucket of water is needed from the well. Charlotte goes out to get it, never returns. Her footprints are found in the snow. Her voice can be heard calling for her father. This one gets a little bit more detailed where it says that her voice seems to be coming from the well at one point. Um, at the, at within seconds, it seems to be coming from this crack behind a boulder that's nearby. And she's saying things along the lines of father, I can see you. Can't you see me help me? I can't find my way back. The area that I walked through got, uh, is now closed. Um, her calls supposedly lasted for 11 days and then they disappeared. So, you know, it's all kind of within yeah. this same vein. And even the story that I heard about or what that I read when I was little, was kind of a combination of some of these, where it's a farmer walking across the field. He wasn't going to a well, necessarily. Um, He did disappear in plain sight of his family like the teacher did, but they ran over and they heard him calling for help and saying that he couldn't get back like the Charlotte Ashton story said. So it's just this ginormous um, game of telephone. Yeah. Uh, Then a gentleman named Zeb Todd comes into the mix. It's 1901. It's 1901. He begins pushing for, he writes an article and he begins pushing for investigations into these missing persons. And then he adds his own two tales into the mix. Uh, his first one is back in 1896, he writes that he was in St. Louis. I said that weird. St. Mm. Louis. Saint Louis? St. Louis? St. Louis? St. Louis. St. Louis? St. <laughs> it, Louis?
0: It, whenever you say it one way, it sounds like it should be the other and vice That's versa. There's no I way think, out.
1: Yeah. Which one is it? St. Louis. Louis? St. Oh, Louis. St. Louis does sound more correct. So he says he's he's in St. Louis <laughs> visiting a friend who was bedridden due to a broken leg. During one of his visits, in view of both Todd and his friend's doctor, his friend starts breathing heavily. Obviously, the doctor jumps up and goes and runs over to check and make sure that he's okay. But by the time he gets to the bed, he discovers that his patient, Todd's friend with the busted leg, has vanished without a trace and nobody knows where he is. And then he also writes about Todd. Todd also, Todd, what's up, Todd? Todd also writes about the Gaines family, a Stephen Gaines, who's the husband, and his wife and their three children outside of Circleville, Ohio. For Their, their story takes place in December of 1888. The eldest son is headed to the woodpile to get some wood for the house because it's cold and it's snowing. He doesn't return. The family goes and searches for him. His footprints are found in the snow but lead to nowhere again. Uh, this is new. The boy's clothing is found. With all the buttons, buttons, and all the laces tied, and everything in its place as if he was wearing his outfit, but then all of a sudden his body just zips on out of there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, everything's still buckled up, and that, and, you know, he pretty much spontaneously vanishes from inside his outfit. So that's the first time I ever heard of that one. But essentially it's all kind of the same thing. Needs to go outside to get something. Everybody else is back in the house. Child, person, adult, whatever is crossing to go to some, you know, far distant, but not, but not extremely far, weird distant. Yeah. Disappears, no trace, footprints in the snow. Sometimes you hear a voice, sometimes you don't. Mm hmm. So, Ambrose Bierce, our original writer of those three. I guess, I don't want to call them hoaxes because I don't think he was trying to pull a fast one. I think he was just like, or maybe he was. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so Ambrose, our, our original writer, about the first three that kind of lit up and went viral, was eventually confronted about the three vanishings. Uh, he stated the a book written by a Dr. Hearn of Leipzig Although I always say Leipzig because I've been to Leipzig for uh, Gamescom back in the day when it was held in Leipzig, and they all say Leipzig. So anyway, Dr. Hearn of Leipzig, shish. Uh, sure. the His title was "Verschwinden und Sign Theory," which uh, a I don't know if that was pronounced correctly, but I think I did pretty good. And its translation is "Disappearance and Its Theory." So this book apparently by this doctor held all the answers. So Dr. Hearn believed that throughout the quote-unquote visible world a la our reality, there are places that are voids or holes where animate and inanimate objects and matter can fall through and cross over into the invisible world. A quote from this article in the Fortean Times says, A person that fell into one of these voids would meet a terrible fate. A man enclosed in such a closet could neither see nor be seen, neither hear nor be heard, neither feel nor be felt, neither live or die. So they just continue in this void forever, yeah. I guess. Um, Dr. Hearn has said, if such a man really existed, void the void theory had actually already turned up before in a St. Louis, yeah, I did it again, St. Louis paper in 1881, and then was reprinted throughout Kansas, California, and Wisconsin. So this void theory was already printed in these newspapers and carried throughout these states before Bierce mentions it as a Dr. Hearn book. Yeah, does that? I I believe if I yeah. read my article correctly, because it gets really no, I confusing. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty accurate. Um, and then uh. Um, even a year later after that, in 1881, a paper asked its readers, do they drop into cosmic holes along with the pins and jackknives of a very careless world? I love that pins and jackknives are what people used to lose a lot of back in the <laughs> yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. Like, now it would be socks and hair ties. I yeah. feel like those are the two things that we would consistently like, and drop into the void. And
0: keys and cell phones. I yeah. guess people lose their iPhones a lot less, but...
1: yeah. Definitely in The Void, there's a lot of pins, jackknives, hair ties.
0: Remote controls.
1: Remote controls from the 80s, though. Only yeah. from the 80s. Um, and uh, and uh, phones, mobile phones.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Although not Apple, apparently. Not iPhones. All the other ones. Like, what would be a good one? Like, gosh, remember BlackBerry? Like Blackberries? Oh, yeah. All the or Blackberries. The sidekick. Yes, all the blackberries and sidekicks live in the void, for sure. Um, So despite all of these stories kind of taking off like wildfire, not all of these stories were believed. There were definitely people that pushed back. Some folks clearly called out plagiarism, although they referenced the material that was stolen from Ambrose Bierce, who obviously invented all these disappearing stories in the first place. So I couldn't quite differentiate what this article in Fortean was saying in regards to this, as far as did people call out plagiarism because they were aware that these were stories that Ambrose Bierce was writing as like a storyteller slash short story writer?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Or did they truly believe that Ambrose Bierce was reporting on these three disappearances and that the disappearances were real And so they were calling out the plagiarism on these other stories saying, oh, you're taking the original material of these poor, poor souls that truly did disappear and you're manipulating it to manipulate your audience. I couldn't tell if they knew that, if they were in on the joke or not, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but either way, people definitely did question it. It wasn't just blind belief across the board. But for, but you know, for all of this to stem from three, articles that were made up is pretty impressive. Yeah. So as for Dr. Hearn of Leipzig, um, a person by the name of Maximilian Hearn published Verschwinden und Sein theories, although Ooh. no trace of the doctor, the publisher or the book itself has ever been discovered. So I don't know how they knew this. Um, I would say if you have a subscription Definitely go and try and track down this article because they do have footnotes that lead you to where they found their information. They're mm-hmm. unlike our podcast, they're very, <laughs> very good about giving out footnotes. So um, so yeah, you can kind of track down and see where their train of thought is for when they're writing this because I know I am not explaining it well, but this is so much of a story of the snake that eats its own tail. It's kind of hard to keep everything, yeah, in order. Um, but yeah, so apparently Dr. Hearn, who is supposedly, possibly Maximilian Hearn, published his own book, and I use air quotes as I say this, because no trace of the doctor themselves, the publisher, or the book has ever been discovered. So who's to say Mm. it's even existing? As for Ambrose Bierce... He ends all, considering he's the one that kickstarted all these like make believe disappearances that like kind of soaked themselves into the pop culture of the time, he disappears without a trace in real life. So on October 1913, when he was 71 years old, Bierce supposedly left Washington, D.C. to tour old Civil War battlefields. And from there, he traveled from Louisiana. So from Washington, D.C. to Louisiana, and then from Louisiana all the way through to El Paso, Mexico, where he joined up with uh, Pancho Villa's army as an observer. Uh, His last known location was supposedly a city called Chihuahua, and they figured this out due to a letter from him to his friend Blanche Partington, which was then traced back to the city, and thus they knew that's where he last was. He ended his letter to Blanche, quote, As to me, I leave here tomorrow for an unknown destination. And then, I guess I should say, end quote, and then disappeared without a trace. Um, Some verbal reports state that he was executed by firing squad in the town cemetery. Others find this story to be completely unreliable due to Bierce's age. I want to stress... When I say entire story, I'm not talking about just the execution by firing squad. I'm talking about this whole thing because it's 1913. The dude is 71 years old. Yeah. He, you know, he hasn't ridden in a long while. He suffered from severe asthma and was very publicly critical, apparently, about Pancho Villa and what he was doing. So it's pretty damn unlikely that he would go to Mexico to join him there as an observer um but then there's also no proof that he didn't so that's kind of the catch 22 that these historians are finding themselves up against or people mm-hmm. that have done research into this gentleman's disappearance because even though I didn't catch on to it right away apparently he was a huge deal back in his day a super super famous uh, writer so for him to disappear off the face of the earth like that is is you know a mystery right up there with like What happened to Charles Lindbergh's baby? What happened? Like, where is um, Amelia Earhart level kind of? Right. What happened? Like, something obviously did. Somebody out there knows, but they cannot figure it out no matter how hard they try and how many really smart people they have on the case. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people even throw, you know, a a bit of cold water on Blanche Partington's supposed letter saying that. The letter never even existed. The only reference they have to any letter was a notebook that his secretary was carrying that had reference to a letter and some, some quick notes about it on a, a pad of paper that she was carrying around in a notebook, but that, you know, the original was supposedly destroyed, the original letter itself, so they have no reference of it. So they're saying that's not even true or potentially not even true. So uh, the city of Chihuahua, might not even have been where his last destination was. So, uh, considering all of the, considering the fur and dust that this guy kicked up by writing yeah. those three completely disappeared off the face of the earth, you know, early 1800 memes that he was sporting, um, for him to end up kind of as a real life version of his own stories. That's crazy. Yeah. Is a little freaky. It is. So that was it i just that's crazy love, i love i cannot i cannot send people to this magazine enough i love them hashtag not sponsored although again if you want to that would we be a great sponsor. that would be great that would be a good yeah. sponsor but um they're a great magazine they've been around for a long time i've followed them for a while they're 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 my version of Fangoria. They're the right. ones that I would go to B Dalton and go to that back section where all the weird magazines were and like silently mm-hmm. pick it out of the the case and like quickly buy it so yeah. that nobody saw what I was doing. That's great. So, yeah, so I'm I'm a full supporter of them. They always have good articles, uh pretty pretty interesting. Sometimes they're a little hard to to follow, but you know, like I said, they have their footnotes, they give their references and it's yeah. a, it's really good. It's a really good art it's a really good magazine. And I thought that this was a really fun story.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. It reminds me of um uh I don't know if you remember about the feud between Edgar Allan Poe and that other oh gosh. I'm gonna botch this, but just basically
1: oh, Didn't they make a movie about that with um Oh, I don't who,
0: know if they did.
1: Yeah, they, they, I think it... No, it wasn't called The Crow, or else we would lose our minds.
0: Holy crap.
1: <laughs> they, was it? Holy shit, was it? Must be, uh, well, it would heard? have been
0: The Raven.
1: Oh, I meant The Raven, sorry. Yeah, I think it was called The Raven.
0: Was it that and about it had, the feud?
1: And it had... Um, well, it wasn't a, about the... Kind of. There was a movie out in 2012 called The Raven. It starred... Um, John Cusack as oh, Edward Allen Poe. right, Alan Pope, right, right, I actually had to do the, um, like the what junket? do you call it, the Junket for it, yes. Oh, that's great. Um, so that was super fun for me because I was like, yeah. But the movie itself touched a little bit upon the rivalry that you're talking about. It didn't do a huge deep dive into it. Yeah. If I remember correctly, I mean, obviously I saw it in 2012 in the theater one time and I've never seen it since. But um, but yeah, it it touches upon, it touches upon the um, the rivalry as well as how Poe, it's believed, might have murdered a girl. Although in the movie, oh, it wow. says he's chasing after a serial killer that implies that Poe is the one doing it. In real life, there's actually a mystery surrounding Edgar Allan Poe as him being a possible murderer. Of a woman in gotcha. this town that he visited, which we should cover. That why the fuck have I not covered yeah, that before? Yeah, totally. Oh my god! All right. Well, guess what's next week?
0: Yeah, that'd be great.
1: Untoldians, you're gonna get you're gonna get some Edgar Allan Poe murder. Yeah. But um, let me see. I think it was what re- the Griswold, right? Arrival of Poe. Yeah, Griswold. yeah, Griswold. Yeah. So tell me what you were gonna say. Well, Sorry, all I was I gonna say is that tantrum. that they
0: got into this like battle uh, this feud but that was just kind of like a flame war Mm -hmm. that would exist now on the internet but back then because of the time they had to like write long letters and then send them to newspapers and then wait for them to get published (laughs) Yeah, and then they would just like hang out and wait for like weeks until they would respond with a letter in a different paper And but it all boiled down to like the same thing that we have now just like this is like
1: Ye old Twitter. Yeah, exactly.
0: It really was. It really was ye old Twitter.
1: All right, well, I've got some listener stories here. Let me pick one. Hello to Jess Bowser and Aristotle. My name is David, and I'm from Newcastle, Australia, but I have family in both Oregon and England. I've been listening to the show since the beginning and love how you've expanded it. I have two stories. But they're relatively short because I'm looking at his page right now. It looks totally good. The first is about when i used to work at a kitchen at a restaurant one afternoon during a quiet period with no customers i was washing dishes while the two other apprentices aaron and scott names have been changed did their own jobs as i was leaning over the sink i felt one of them reach into my back pocket trying to take my wallet so i quickly turned around to stop them but neither one of them were near me aaron was standing near the stoves about 10 feet away with a confused look on her face and asked me Did you hear that too? I said, hear what? She looked even more confused and then asked me why I turned around. So I told her I felt someone touch me. She said, well, that's strange because just before you turned around, I could have sworn I heard a lady's voice. That's when Scott at the other end of the kitchen said, I wasn't going to say anything because I figured it was just a shadow, but I thought I saw somebody out of the corner of my eye. We all just stood there for a moment in shock, realized we might have experienced different sensations, a la sight, sound, and touch of the same ghost and then continued back to work. It never happened again. <laughs> also, like, what the hell is a ghost going to do with somebody's wallet? That's a total dick move to try and steal somebody's cash. Yeah. <laughs> Good retort.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that that was the end of of your of your response. I was going to say it's great to witness something with that many other people, like a true kind of mystery ink type of instance and it not just be one person and that each person got a different part of the uh, experience.
1: Yeah. No, I would agree. I wonder though, why it would never have repeated itself or why would it have started in the first place unless the restaurant was haunted, but he doesn't say if, he knows of that or not. Yeah. Right, so his other story. My other story isn't so much spooky as it is bizarre. I've never had a lucid dream in my life. I wouldn't even know how to have one. I'm not so sure this was a dream anyway because I wasn't fully asleep yet, but I wasn't awake. It's difficult to explain, so I have resigned to calling it a vision. I was walking through a giant cave towards the opening, but as I am walking, hands and arms were reaching out of the cave walls trying to grab my legs. None of them could quite reach me, so I kept walking to the light. Once I made it to the mouth of the cave, I stood and looked out over a drought ridden desert with cracked ground. Hovering about 12 feet in the air at the entrance to the cave were two angels. One was made of fire and the other was made of blood. It was horrific yet majestic sight and I didn't feel scared. <laughs> That's when I woke up and thought, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Thought. Holy shit. What a cool vision. Mm-hmm. Love to hear your thoughts on this last story. Was it just a weird limbo dream or was it something else? Thanks for reading. Keep up the spooky shit and bye.
0: <laughs> and bye. Yeah, I mean, I always feel like if it's a dream that kind of stays with you, that you feel even led to ask the question of, was that more than just a dream? Then I always assume it was more than a dream. Like, you know, I- when you wake up from something and you're like, yeah, that was just, uh, that was just, you know, an upset stomach or overactive yeah. imagination. But then I feel like you know when it's something more than that.
1: I mean, I agree, but also what. Think nobody said anything. Nobody, as far as I can tell, nobody made any sudden moves in the in this vision. Right. Yeah, there was nothing other than the cave and the people trying to grab him but not being able to reach him. Which to right. me sounds like kind of a standard nightmare. There's nothing. There, I, unless he just didn't write it in this article. There's or this letter to us. There's nothing stating what the message or the point of the vision would be. Yeah. Unless you know, again visions are always dreams and and also are always up for their own interpretation so i suppose only he would really know what the message right. might be yeah in which case if you're listening to this write us back and let us know what you think it means because yeah. um i i honestly have no clue
0: yeah i wouldn't know how to interpret it
1: yeah i mean at first i was thinking wow this sounds just like the cave scene in the little mermaid when she's mm-hmm. meeting ursula yeah that's true and then it took a dark turn that's i was like true. this is not this is not The little mermaid anymore um all right well that's it for listener stories because we're running a little long if you guys are interested in following us you can find us on instagram at the untold hour on twitter at untold hour pod if you have a listener story that you want us to read on air you can send them to the untold hour pod at gmail.com you can also click that email button in the instagram page and last but not least we do have a facebook group just search for the untold hour facebook group and you will find us there and that's where everybody kind of hangs out and uh, posts all the cool stuff that they find. Um, I do have to invite you. I will do so. I get on there every week and post everybody's messages and also invite people that want to be part of the group. And last but not least, because I said that the first time, but this is actually the real final, My as my kid says, my final finale. Uh, We do have a Goodreads Mm -hmm. page. Um, It's just a list so far of things that I recommend you guys read that i like uh bowser feel free to jump in and add yours i just yeah. add them to the library cool cool books uh feel free to add your own if you're part of the group i don't think you need to have me add you to join you should be able to just do it but i'll double check um but either way it's it's pretty neat because at all the books that we reference on the podcast or that i personally enjoy i post on there um as the, it occurs to me so that's it
0: all right well, with that, should I do my intro, my outro? Jesus.
1: Yeah, we're all, we're all sorts of fucked up today. Go ahead, do your outro.
0: This has been Jessica Chobot and Andrew Bowser, and you've been listening to The Untold Hour. Bye.
1: Bye. Star- Star- Bands A, podca- <clears throat> A podcast network.